Hi there, welcome to Paranormal Blip. Thank you ever so much for joining again. Now this is episode 27. Very exciting episode because we are reporting on the uh, quite astonishing breaking news of the Calvine photo described far and wide as the most spectacular UFO photo ever captured. But is it, as it looks very clearly to me, like it is um, US spy plane caught by chance by two walking Scotsmen? Uh, were they Scotsmen? Maybe they were Scots people. Or maybe they weren't even people from Scotland at all. Now, um, so that's the news. <laughs> and we're going to look at the uh, work of David Clark in uh, hunting down and releasing this photograph that really has been a big, uh, you know, mystery. Um, so that's news, like I say, and we'll come to that in a minute. And the main thing about this episode is uh, Havana Syndrome. I was really scratching an itch here, to tell you the truth, ladies and gentlemen. I really wanted to know, what's the score with Havana Syndrome? After hearing Gary Cooper talk about it in his movies from the 1950s. No, Gary Nolan talk about it on Tucker Carlson. And I went back and found that he had been speaking about it to um, Lex Friedman as well. So we've got Gary as a kind of, you know, UFO um, entry drug into Havana Syndrome, if you like. So don't mind Gary. Should I call him Gary? Can I have to, because that is his name. Um, so very interesting, really brilliant, actually. And there's lots and lots of... Uh, resonance with the way that people with Havana syndrome have had to put up with, you know, total nonsense for years in some cases with, you know, people saying, oh, you're just making it up, like official reports coming out saying it's, you know, just um, in your head. I mean, how unbelievable, how rude. So anyway, we'll get into that. That's the kind of main uh, bit of this episode. And then we uh, finish off with a beautiful bit um, uh Terence McKenna, kind of classic, you know, classic archive territory. Terence McKenna talking about consciousness. Oh, yeah. But first of all, I'm going to do my bit on social media, following me on social media, which I recorded weeks ago. But it's much easier for me just to plop in the audio than saying, follow me on Twitter. I mean, I could do that, though, couldn't I? Yeah. But no, here's me doing that a couple of weeks ago. So before we go into the news, just to quickly ask you to uh, get on to Twitter, twitter.com uh, slash paranormalblip, and follow me there. Our Instagram post is, um, what is it, paranormal underscore blip underscore podcast, I think, yeah. Uh, but I've put a link of both of those in the episode description. So if you're interested in, you know, not just the episodes, but kind of contacting me or anything else, then please do follow there. Thank you. So the news here of the Calvine photo, it broke a couple of days ago. And in the episode description, I've got a link to um, David Clark talking to Vinny, uh, Disclosure Team Vinny. And David has been working with a couple of other investigators. One's called Matthew and one's called Giles. So Matthew and Giles are in this excellent, um, it's almost like a you know kind of summary of how they came about finding this photograph and the steps that they've taken 
to uh, verify it and to release it as well. And also in the episode description, I've got an analysis of the photograph by the head of the kind of teaching photography department at Sheffield Hallam University in Sheffield in the United Kingdom. So he, I think his name is Robinson, Andrew Robinson, he has analysed the photo. So if you want to do a deep dive into this story, then there's a couple of places to begin. So here we go. So that it came out in a um, Daily Mail, uh, uh, what's the word, article that David Clark himself wrote for the Mail. Revealed after 32 years, the most spectacular UFO photo ever captured, or the first glimpse of America's fabled top secret uh, spy plane program. Is that how you say it? I think that's how you say it. In August 1990, two young chefs photographed what they thought was a UFO while walking near the Cairgorms in Scotland and took the pictures to a newspaper. The paper passed them on to the MOD, Ministry of Defence. Then the photographs vanished, along with the two young chefs. Now, after 32 years, the photograph is revealed, despite the MOD and the National Archives doing their utmost to keep it hidden until 2076 because of privacy concerns. Retired RAF officer Craig Lindsay, now 83, broke protocol and kept a copy of one of the pictures inside his copy of the great aircraft of the world in his desk. I guess that's a book, is it? Yeah, great aircraft of the world. That's a good place to keep it, isn't it? I like this Lindsay character. He's got a bit of a sense of humour about him. But in this picture, in fact, but, sorry, is this picture, in fact, the first glimpse of America's fabled, top-secret Aurora spy plane programme? Since the mid-1980s, there's been rumours of a silent, supersonic, geometrically shaped craft used for spy missions. There's never been substantial evidence that it was ever built or flown, but there have been numerous unexplained sightings and incidents in both the US and the UK that fueled the myth. So that's basically the background. And like I say, you can deep dive into it. But it's a very interesting photograph. I think from my own point of view, obviously it's not being confirmed and it will never be confirmed by the United States or the the UK, you know, MOD. Uh, but it seems to me that it is a secret uh, US plane or you know aircraft that they were testing without permission um, in Scotland. Um, and it's a very interesting story, very interesting case. Essentially, lots and lots of mystery surrounding the, uh, you know, what, what, is, what happened to the photos, what exactly was seen. Nick Pope, not the footballer, but the other one, had a, oh, kind of allegedly, had a, a great big kind of poster of this thing on his wall when he was, was he there at the UFO desk for three years? He's made a like substantial career out of that, hasn't he? But I think he was only there for three years. But anyway, he's been asked about it, and lots of people are kind of, you know, wondering um, what's going on with him and this. Why, why did he have a photograph of a, you know, like a, a top secret US uh, USA um, aircraft on his wall? So you know, it's it's kind of taken on a life of its own, if you like this. Calvine mystery. 
Um, but it's a very, very good piece of investigative reporting, essentially, by David Clark and Matthew and Giles. So thank you very much. And amazing, um, you know, bit of news. So that's the news. There's the news. It is the news, isn't it? Yeah, there's the news. And here's the bleeps. So Havana syndrome, it's been one of those things that have cropped up the last couple of years in the newspapers. And it's, you know, caught my eye, probably like, you know, many, many millions of people. And you kind of wonder, okay, what's going on here? And it came to our attention again with Gary Nolan talking about it in recent interviews, most recently last week with uh, Tucker Carlson. And so we're going to begin our look at Havana Syndrome with an excerpt from Gary's conversation with Mr. Carson. A number of cases uh, like this started becoming known, right? And so what happens is that these cases and events kind of trickle up the chain and then get moved across the DOD uh, and put in a bucket, you know, let's just call it the weird bucket, until enough of them have occurred that somebody says, okay, there's, there's uh, something we should be paying attention to. Havana syndrome is an example of that, right? That enough individuals in diplomatic offices, et cetera, were getting sick, and so there was a pattern beginning to occur and emerge, and so somebody realized, okay, that there's, somebody is probably attacking our personnel in these offices. Uh, the diplomatic corps, et cetera. So those cases all end up over in a bucket where eventually somebody pays attention to it. And that was what then instigated them to come to me. Interesting. So how many cases, about roughly? A, about 100. 100? Yeah. Now, of those, about probably 80 to 90% of them ended up being actually Havana syndrome. So as we were studying these cases, um, the guy who was doing the work, his name is Kit Green. He's a neurophysiologist and is also associated with the CIA, uh, used to be in the CIA. Um, he was going back to what are called the diagnostic codes because, you know, when, when you have a new medical issue, you start saying, okay, well, what happened to them? This, they've got this kind of phenomena. They've got this kind of problem with their lungs. And they've got inflammation of the skin, et cetera. And you, you put them into these codes. And so it was around 2015, 2016 that, and we had at the, up to that point in time called this interference syndrome. Something was interfering with these individuals. Uh, but then it became obvious that the diplomatic core issues were happening and that many of the symptoms in those individuals, in the Havana syndrome individuals, matched some of the, or most of the symptoms that we had in our big bucket. Why? Because they were in the weird bucket at the time and they just ended up being Havana syndrome, but that was good in a way because we were able to take those individuals out and out of consideration. I didn't have to worry about them anymore. It now became a national security concern. But the people who were remaining were the really interesting ones to me because those are the people who claim to have interactions with UAPs. So there's Mr. Nolan. And speaking to Lex Friedman, he goes into a little bit more detail about... Uh, you know, his involvement. And also he mentions the Jasons. Um, I think it's Jason Donovan, Jason Duillo, Jason Momoa. And um, they are, surprisingly, they're different 
kind of guys that the US government um, fall, uh, fall into a uh, call. Call. Uh, that would be a really good movie, actually, wouldn't it? Yeah. So anyway, here he is uh, talking about the Jasons. Right around 2018 or so, the, the so-called Havana cases were coming up, which were which Havana, Cuba, specifically some of the diplomatic personnel were having these buzzing sounds, getting sick, headaches, etc. And uh, and that kind of went public. And then Kit got a hold of some of the case files um, related to, to these some of these events and realized that the the when he matched the ICD codes of the Havana syndrome, they matched or overlapped with a lot of our cases. A science group, the so-called Jasons, which are a group of you know scientists who the government calls upon, I'm not part of the Jasons, uh, to um, help them uh, understand the um, you know some event that occurs and write white papers and things like that. Uh, they were brought in to basically do an assessment. Uh, of this, and it became um, uh, obvious that these cases were probably driven by s some, I use the term state actor, some people got bent out of shape because I used that term. I just meant... What, yeah, what does it mean? It basically means, you know, somebody who is an agent of, let's say, Russia or China or something like that, or a rogue element within our own government, or frankly, you know, I mean, state actor implies some sort of, uh, you know, funded by uh, uh, a government. Um, but it could just as easily be, you know, terrorist groups who gained access, who gained access to, um, you know, some of these technologies that could cause these things. And if you look at that, PDF that I just sent you. There's uh, all kinds of different approaches: acoustic attacks, electromagnetic attacks, uh, microwave. I'll include a link to that in the description as well. Yeah, um, and uh, so it's it, it's not, it's not beyond the capability of anybody in the last twenty years to have these kinds of attack, uh, you know, approaches, vectors, or whatever. Um, so, so when I say it's out of my hands, uh, when it's, it's, it's that, well, these are clearly falling under a, um, a, uh, what's the right word? Um, it's falling under the rubric or an umbrella of something which appears to be purely human or terrestrial. Yeah. With intention. With intention and has nothing to do with UAPs whatsoever. Now, what's interesting is, and this is what the, whoever it was who tweeted this recently, um, yeah, I haven't found the number in here. I'm going to have to go in, but they said about 10 to 15% of the cases uh, that the Jasons had looked at could not be explained under the rubric of Havana syndrome and were as of, as of yet um, un, of indeterminate causation. That doesn't mean that they're UAP, right? It just means that, uh, again, the, the, the broad bucket of people with strange things happening to them uh, didn't fall under that. So that's really interesting, isn't it? So very clearly, 
Uh, Gary Nolan is saying this is not UAP. Um, you know, 80% of the stuff that he looked into, 80 to 90% of the, of the 100, because he gave um, that figure to Tucker Carlson. Um, but when the Jasons looked into it, Jason Momoa is saying, ah, oh, hold on a minute, we can't figure this one out either. So there's a small group still of outstanding, uh, you know, kind of mysterious uh, symptoms that at the moment haven't been connected to well, anything. They're just like, they, they, they don't know what's going on with these people. They're saying it isn't Havana syndrome. So what's going on? And like, you know, Mr. Nolan, Dr. Nolan, thank you very much, said it doesn't mean they're UAP at all, um, but there's something going on with them. So now we're going to take a look now at a brilliant um, audio from uh, 60 Minutes, who did a uh, half-hour report on this about six months ago, and it's uh, obviously linked in the episode description. Definitely worth looking if you're interested in Havana syndrome. Now we're going to uh, hear testimony from Olivia Troy, who worked at the White House. So she was in the kind of security compound of the White House that doesn't just include the White House, but it also includes other government buildings where people who work at the White House work, yeah? But all obviously kind of very close to the White House and within that compound. And this is like absolutely incredible testimony. At the White House, she worked in the 19th century Eisenhower Executive Office Building beside the West Wing. In the summer of 2019, she was descending these stairs toward the White House when she felt she had been physically struck. But it was like this piercing feeling on the side of my head. It was like, I remember it was on the right side of my head and I, I got like vertigo. Um, I was unsteady. Um, I was, I felt nauseous. Um, I was somewhat disoriented and I was just, I remember thinking like, okay, you gotta, if you don't fall down the stairs, like you've gotta find your ground again and steady yourself. She steadied herself on a railing, but the piercing feeling continued as she passed by this entrance to the West Wing. It was almost like I couldn't really process. It was like a paralyzing panic attack. I've never had that. Um, I've never felt anything like that. And so I, I, you know, I thought to myself, I mean, do I have a brain tumor out of the blue? Is, is this what happened? Am I having a stroke? Olivia Troy was inside the security perimeter, headed to her car. She went down the steps, past the West Wing, and down the closed parking lot used by presidents called West Executive Avenue. Then she passed through the Secret Service gate and out to the staff parking in the Ellipse, south of the White House. Did you ever experience anything like this again? So not immediately, um, but I did again about a year later. Um, it didn't happen on the steps. It happened uh, a, a couple times walking to my car on the Ellipse. Tell me about those times. It was a similar sensation, but this time it was um, very much the feeling of, of vertigo and dizziness. Um, and I felt like I couldn't really walk. There was sort of a, it was like I had a depth perception issue where I couldn't figure out where the ground was. Um, and I would start walking and I felt like I was just gonna fall right into the ground. So these kind of experiences keep happening and people start to notice the pattern. 
a pattern across two administrations. Recent injuries among U.S. officials were reported in Vienna, Austria, ahead of a trip by the vice president to Vietnam, and in India during a visit by the director of the CIA. In 2019, during a visit by President Trump to London, two members of John Bolton's national security staff became ill in a hotel. And uh, that it was on the floor where uh, it would completely taken up with personnel from the White House and White House agencies uh, struck me as being uh, pretty good evidence of a deliberate attack. You believe it was an attack? I, I don't think there's any other hypothesis when you begin to look at the the number and the pattern that we've experienced. Bolton says months later, one of those staff members hurt in London said she was overcome again, walking her dog in the Washington area. We have found she is not the only one who says they were attacked abroad and later at home. You must have thought that when you were home in America that you were safe. I'll tell you, when I landed from China, I literally was kissing the ground. We met Robin Garfield in 2019. He's a Commerce Department official who told us that he, his wife, and two children were repeatedly hit in China. Your daughter was literally falling down? Yes. She fell down multiple times that day. They were evacuated and enrolled in a State Department treatment program at the University of Pennsylvania. Recently, Garfield told us his family was hit again during their year of treatment in Philadelphia. My wife catapulted out of bed uh, and sprinted down the hallway to, to check the children without any word. And she came back and she told me that a extremely loud, painful sound um, had woken her up. So they moved to a hotel where Garfield says it happened again. And we woke up around, I believe, 2 a.m. Um, with strange vibrations uh, in our bodies and a, a sound. Which led Garfield to check on his children in another room. I saw an extremely eerie scene where both were thrashing in their beds um, asleep, but both kicking and moving um, pretty aggressively. And I went over to my daughter and I put my head down next to her head, and I heard a very distinct sound uh, just right there, sort of like water rushing. So I picked her up, took her in, put her with my wife, and came back, and I checked my son. Same sound, just right next to his head. So I picked him up, put him on my shoulder, walked over to my wife, and I said, we're getting out of here. Now, there's a range of illnesses that come with these attacks, including blindness. Now, with the blindness, there's nothing wrong with the people's eyes. There's something wrong with the people's brains in terms of the inability to connect the brain with the eye. And we're going to hear testimony now from somebody that's undergoing this like, horrible um, condition of blindness, which is getting worse. And then we hear, this is from uh, a documentary called Fighting the Invisible Enemy which I think is from NBC, which is linked in the episode description. Then we hear this extraordinary uh, case of Michael Beck. We hear from the lawyer, Michael Beck's lawyer, and Michael Beck's lawyer uh, refers to 
a document that the NSA released. When Dr. Galloway told me that I couldn't make my eyes work together, it was the first time that someone had said, you know, that this is sort of the smoking gun. This is your, your proof that you have suffered some sort of traumatic brain injury without actually being hit in the head. The National Academy of Sciences report was really helpful in saying, yes, it's our belief that these are directed energy attacks, um, that they are real, and that they were perpetrated by somebody, a state that has this kind of technology. We know that Russia is one of the nation states that has the technology. There are some others. And it's very concerning to think that our adversaries might be using this kind of attack against our employees to undermine our diplomats, to undermine our intelligence personnel, to undermine our military personnel. The Russians are the only country I know of who have previously targeted American diplomats with microwaves, although for a different purpose. That puts them at the top of a very short suspects list. The problem here is that this is all conjecture at this point. The American embassy in Moscow. For years, the Russians bombarded it with microwave radiation. Many employees there developed blood problems. American officials protested, but also insisted there was no connection between the radiation and the problems. By the time I arrived there, people were still very upset about the fact that the reality of this microwave signal had been kept from them for years and years. If you're talking about the State Department and the bureaucracy, we had a similar problem that the Havana Syndrome people had, which was that people were saying, oh, it's Embassy Moscow. These people are imagining things. This is mass hysteria. There was a tendency on the part of the bureaucracy to ignore this problem. I have more than a dozen clients who are from multiple agencies, State Department, and the CIA. And they have been victimized by whatever this is. And I'm there to try and find out what happened to them and make sure their health is taken care of. I mean, I started in this case in 2013 three years before Havana took place. And Michael Beck, my first client, who then was an NSA, National Security Agency employee, had been impacted by what we believe to have been microwaves in 1996. They're probably in here. Where this alleged incident happened is classified. The circumstances to why he was there is classified. NSA wouldn't tell me what any of that information was. So how am I supposed to help file this workman's compensation claim when all of the information is classified? In October of 2014, NSA finally gives me a document. So this is the statement that Mr. Beck's lawyers were sent from the National Security Agency. It's unclassified. And it's dated October the 16th, 2014. The National Security Agency confirms that there is intelligence information from 2012 associating the hostile country to which Mr. Beck traveled in the late 1990s with a high-powered microwave system weapon that may have the ability to weaken, intimidate, or kill an enemy over time and without leaving evidence. The 2012 intelligence information 
indicated that this weapon is designed to bathe a target's living quarters in microwaves, causing numerous physical effects, including a damaged nervous system. The National Security Agency has no evidence that such a weapon, if it existed, and if it was associated with a hostile country in the late 1990s, was or was not used against Mr. Beck. One can construe if these are attacks on US government personnel as an act of war. As many as 200 Americans working abroad have now... traveled to India this month. In this flight to Vietnam. This year, two dozen new cases in Vietnam. Another in Berlin. U.S. officials say potential victims on every continent but Antarctica. We are investigating and reviewing reports of incidents um, from uh, all around the world. There has been more openness in the Biden administration to acknowledge what's going on, but it's still not transparent enough. President Biden signed a new law granting financial support to government officials who have been victims of the mysterious Havana syndrome. We will leave no stone unturned to get to the bottom of what and who is behind these incidents. I don't think anyone should doubt um, the sense of urgency that we have or our determination. In November, CIA Director Bill Burns went to Russia and met with their spy chief and warned them that if it's them, then they're gonna face consequences. This is a huge deal. So the CIA is seized with this and has been since Bill Burns took over at the beginning of the Biden administration. Unfortunately, according to bipartisan critics, the State Department did not respond as aggressively as the CIA has and is now just catching up. So where are we at then? Where are we at? It looks like in the 1990s, Russia was um, inundating or flooding you like, or bathing, it's a nice gentle word to use, isn't it, bathing, um, the American embassy in Moscow with some kind of sonic weapon system that led to blood clots. And in the 1990s, the people um, who were working in the Moscow embassy would complain, saying, hold on, we're getting blood clots and what's going on? And they were essentially ignored by the State Department saying you're making it all up and obviously you know in the kind of paranormal world we're very used to experiences being belittled um, you know their experiences being denied uh, being told that they're lying being told that they're making it up um, so obviously I've got quite a lot of sympathy for people in that in that situation um, and so now you know through legal cases like uh, Mr Beck's the NSA was forced to release some kind of documentation, the thing that I read out that is also linked. And it looks like, I mean, this is obviously conjecture from my point of view, but you know, look, judging by the evidence, it looks like that um, uh, microwave, uh, uh, what would you call it? Not a ray, is it? Um, <laughs> Not a Ray Winston, that microwave pulsing microwave system uh, has, you know, is it that they're, you know, like somebody said, trying to find the correct dose? Um, or is it that they're just, you know, kind of throwing caution to the wind and just going for it? Come on, baby, we've got uh, this new secret weapon. So let's start um, 
you know, practicing it on the Yanks and see what happens. And oh, oh, a couple of Canadians. Um, the Canadian thing is very interesting. I mean, why not British people? Now, Vienna is fascinating because Vienna is obviously very contested. It has been for years, the third man. And, um, you know, they've got a big, uh, what's the word? Like, they've got a neutral, obviously. Austria kind of tries to see themselves as neutral in terms of um, geopolitics. But they were Western, you know, uh, democratic, liberal democratic uh, country. Uh, having said that, they're very close to the Russians. So it's very interesting that it's been happening in Vienna uh, in a massive number as well. I think over two dozen, um, you know, reports. Um, so what is it? Well, it looks like it's a microwave. And um, here is, I think this is NBC again, talking about microwaves. This mysterious sickness called the Havana syndrome. It's affected a small group of American diplomats and spies overseas. And now in a new report that just came out just within the last maybe 90 minutes or so, you've got this panel of experts working for U.S. intel agencies saying that the most likely cause is microwave energy from some kind of external source. They don't really know what that source is. The backdrop here, since late 2016, you've seen hundreds of U.S. officials in more than a dozen countries coming forward to report symptoms believed to be related to this Havana syndrome. But last month, the CIA came out and said, hey, most of these people don't actually fit the profile. A couple dozen do. That's where the mystery is. And that's what this new report is hoping to shine a light on. Ken Delanian is following the story for us. So, Ken, break this down a little bit, right? Because we're now centering on those, I think, a couple dozen diplomats, most of them related to the initial incident reporting in 2016, um, they, they get these really weird symptoms. We don't know what it is. And now these experts are saying it's probably microwave energy, which is the clearest sign yet, right, the most definitive evidence yet or answer yet that we have for this. Yeah, you nailed it, Hallie. It's a little bit confusing because we've been reporting for three years now about hundreds of diplomats coming forward and saying they believe they have these symptoms that could be Havana syndrome. And then last month, the CIA comes out with his interim assessment that says most of those people do not fit the profile. They found alternate explanations. And it kind of poured cold water on the whole idea. But if you read it carefully, it said, hey, there are about two dozen cases that where we can't rule out foreign involvement. We have no idea what caused it. And those are the cases, it looks like, that this panel of experts studied very closely. Um, and this was a panel of outside experts, scientists, technologists, and U.S. intelligence officials. And they had access to classified information. They interviewed victims. They interviewed experts. And what they concluded was the most plausible explanation is directed energy from an external source. Now, they didn't identify, as you said, they didn't identify the, a device. And they weren't even looking at the question of who might be responsible. But by, just by concluding that, hey, this is likely directed energy, they have bolstered the longstanding hypothesis by the intelligence community that this is likely uh, the Russians, because the Russians have a history of studying this technology. Now, the problem with that, Hallie, is they've been looking for years, the spies have, and they've not come up with any evidence to point to Russia, even though CIA Director William Burns went to Moscow and warned the Russians that if they were doing this, there would be consequences. It's a, it's a real mystery. But this report uh, does move the ball forward in the sense of saying, look, we think these, these symptoms are not explained by any other phenomenon. They're not psychosomatic. Right. 
that people are not making this up. They were hit by some kind of energy, and it caused real damage to them. What they have not said, though, is if this is still going on, Howie. It, you make a good point, Ken, because in the beginning, I think there was some sense, especially in interviews that I know you and our colleagues have done talking to those, these folks who've been affected, that like, oh, it's all in your head. Oh, you're making it up, right? This, this goes a step beyond that to say, no, this is what we think happened. This is what we think caused it. And we're hearing now from, I think, some of the country's top intel officials, right? The CIA director, the national intelligence director. Yeah, that's right. Now, those leaders of these agencies are, are, have to walk a fine line because they want to, you know, project the idea that they care about their workforce, even those people who have symptoms but don't fit the profile. Because this has become an all-consuming phenomenon. C CIA people are turning down jobs overseas because they're concerned that they're going to be hit with some kind of microwave ray. And that's in part why the CIA released that assessment last month. They wanted to communicate, hey, there is no global campaign that we know of, of foreign spies hiding in the street corner trying to aim a ray at you, but there is this unexplained phenomenon. The, something happened to these people. They, they were, one day they were healthy, the next day they were floored, and some of them have never been the same since, and now we know that the most likely cause was some kind of external energy, and now they need to solve the mystery of how did that happen, Allie. Ken Delaney, way to stay, to stay on top of the story. We so appreciate you bringing us the latest developments. Thank you. It sounds so condescending and uh inauthentic when U.S. news reporters try to, um, you know, communicate to each other. <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, that's what the report is about. She's basically leading you into talking about the report. She didn't hit the nail on any head. Um, but yeah, so there we go. Havana syndrome. So based on what we've heard so far, and please do a deep dive by going into the episode description links. It looks as if the Russians have been um, experimenting with uh, sonic microwave systems, weapon systems, and using, first of all, the US Embassy in Moscow as a bit of a kind of, you know, guinea pig or maybe canary in the coal mine situation. Um, leading to blood clots in the personnel uh, based in Moscow in the 90s. Um, and complaints about this were ignored by the State Department, leading to uh, litigation by Mr. Beck and others. And then when Obama opened the, um, the embassy in Havana in 2016, the Russians had the perfect opportunity to test out their refined microwave system. Um, hence, all of these different uh, cases that have come about in the last six years. So, you know, it, it's obviously, um, well, it's awful. It's like tragic. Personally, it's tragic for the people that are, that are going through this, these attacks. And of course, on a kind of geopolitical level, it's extremely dangerous that, uh, you know, it's still a mystery. Of course, the problem with this is that they only know that it's happened after it's happened. Um, as far as, you know, we know, and it may be that they are working out how to detect it beforehand. Um, but as far as we know, it's not able, the, the, the US, uh, you know, Department of Defense are unable to 
um, protect against it, to kind of, you know, prevent it from happening before it happens, before an attack like this happens. Now, total conjecture here on my behalf, but imagine, now we already know that, um, you know, your kind of um, frequencies, what you can hear depends on your age. I did an experiment uh, a while ago with a bunch of children and <laughs> it's very um, above board experiment whereby what you do is you you play different notes or different pitches, I should say, different pitches of sound to uh, a kind of wide range of ages of people. And the older you are, the, the kind of sooner you fall out of the experiment, yeah? So the uh, pitches get higher and higher and higher. And the younger the child, the uh, higher the pitch, the children can hear it, if that makes sense. So I'm in my mid-40s. There's loads and loads of uh, frequencies that I couldn't hear. Is the word pitch or frequency? Maybe it's both. I think it might be frequency, might it? Yeah, maybe. Um, I have to ask Ryan Bledsoe about that. He's the frequency, the Regency frequency uh, priest, the frequency priest. Um, anyway, so, you know, we know that there are things that you can buy in your garden to make sure that cats don't come into your garden because they emit um, high frequency sounds. We know that there are various, uh, you know, things that the police can buy, police forces can buy, which are kind of crowd, crowd control, sound emitting devices. So this is, uh, you know, an area where uh, people are exploring, uh, you know, kind of weaponizing it essentially. And total conjecture when it comes to Havana syndrome. What if the uh, thing that is being used by, I mean, let's just say the Russians, I might be wrong here. And I don't think I've got any listeners in Russia, although I've got listeners in uh, everywhere, like you know, most parts of the world. Um, but I think it's like 46 nations now. And a lot of um, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries Listen, so hello everybody, but not in Russia, as far as I can remember. If you are listening in Russia, then I apologize. But not that I look at that list of countries, you know, kind of obsessively, but I did glimpse it a couple of days ago. I can't remember Russia. I think I probably would have remembered Russia. Anyway, even if you are listening in Russia, I am going to say that it is the Russian government doing this. So, you know, take that to your bank, Putin. And um, it looks as if, you know, what what would happen if pure conjecture here this is i'm getting to the conjecture now what would happen if they could widen the geographical the geographical area of attack what could happen if they could make the attacks um you know exponentially uh, more you know instead of it's around about 200 i think 200 people have been uh targeted so far i think it's 200 but I'm not entirely sure about that. Um, but yeah, it's at least 200 people so far have been targeted. And, um, you know, what could happen if that, you know, come, goes into the tens of thousands? Yeah. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And it's difficult to argue against the idea that it is an act of war. Of course, there is no evidence that firmly links it to Russia. And I sound quite hawkish on this. 
But if you think about the, you know, the fact that the within the security compound of the White House, um, people have been attacked by an unknown um, weapon system. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Yeah, there we go. All right, so that is Havana Syndrome. And here are the blimps. So Terence McKenna is seen as a uh, soothsayer by many, a seer at least, a teller of truths by many. And what I what he says about consciousness, I absolutely agree with him about. And the work of uh, Mr. Michael Pollan when it comes to hallucinogenics and psychotropic um, substances, uh, it's really very, very interesting. He's got a very good Netflix series on in the UK at the moment, probably all around the world on, in, on Netflix, called How to Change Your Mind. And it's uh, basically the television show of his book that came out in 2018. That's Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N. And I just saw in the bookshop the other day that he's got a new book out, which looks interesting as well. Yeah, very good. Um, so, the, yeah, so this whole idea of, you know, the um, activating uh, space uh, or another realm, as I like to say, uh, kind of somewhere else um, through psychotropic drugs uh, is something that McKenna talks about right now. So if there is any agent in the environment, drug, teaching, practice, you name it, that actually uh, increases consciousness, it is going to loom very important. In my experience, uh, hallucinogenic drugs are pretty much uh, unique in the power and the efficacy that they bring to the process of promoting consciousness. But I think you, ha you have a valid point in that the problem in our society is that we have no shamanic tradition, no schedule of initiation. We don't know whether our kids should take these drugs at 14 or 8 or... And this, this is a real problem. I've often, you know, if in a archaic society, it's all laid out for you. The elders understand, they bring you into it, there's ritual, there's initiation. It's amazing that we're all here, some of the things we've been through. I mean, I've made the analogy to a person walking, that a psychedelic drug is like the situation of a person walking along the beach and they come upon a beautiful sailboat and they know nothing about sailing. Well, what are the odds that they will be able to enjoy the thrill of sailing if they have no teacher. And I don't mean I'm loath to buy into the notion that one human being has anything to teach another, except things like close your eyes, be quiet, turn off the music. These are teachings of, of great importance. Well, the mushroom is such a special case, you know. It certainly draws your attention to an unusual part of reality if it's there all the time. The fact that it seems to be a communicator is puzzling. I still haven't made up my mind about it. When people ask me what, how I choose drugs, I'm 
I started out a radical. Nobody else was talking about drugs. Now I find I'm the anchor dragging the ship because I say it should be a plant, number one. It should have a history of shamanic usage, number two. It should have a similarity to brain chemistry. And I am uh, extremely unenthusiastic about MDMA and all these things. It's a plant with a history of shamanic usage. I always say, if you can get two out of the three, <laughs> let's go do it. <laughs> so it just leaves me to say thank you ever so much for listening. And um, thanks for everybody that's been in contact via Twitter. DM me. Um, and I have to give a bit of a shout out to the Mind Sublime, who uh, came up with some brilliant information that I'm going to pass on to you now. Uh, maybe some of you were listening to the Bob Lazar episode thinking, it's not bloody Prince Philip. God, you're obsessed with Prince Philip. It's not Prince Philip. It's Hans Adam II, Prince of Liechtenstein. Because this is the the uh, <laughs> what's the, the news that the mind sublime. Look up the mind sublime on Twitter. It's definitely worth following um, him or her. I think maybe Jay. Well, Jay is a a name of, let's just say they. They is just it's definitely following them, the Mind Sublime. Um, so basically, it looks like old Jack Belay mentioned um, Hans Adam II, <laughs> the Prince of Liechtenstein, in one of his books. So um, and apparently he's funded UFO research, Hans Adam II, which I would definitely do. If I was the Prince of Liechtenstein, I'd fund you a full research. Anyway, that's enough. Take care of yourself. See you later. And uh, it's 28. Stephen. Stephen's going to come back at some point. Hopefully, episode 28. 28. Can you wait for 28? See ya. <laughs>